Welcome to another episode of Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop. This is season 11, where we're branching out from Elixir to compare notes with experts from other communities. Hey everyone, I'm Owen Bickford, senior developer at Smart Logic. And I'm Sandy Miet, engineering manager at cards.com. And we are your host for today's episode. For episode 11, we're joined by Camille Clayton, director of Women Who Code DC, and Scott Talinsky, co-host of the Syntax podcast. In this episode, we're comparing notes between programming communities. So we're going to really cover everything, everything from Elixir to Python, I'm sure TypeScript, Java, JavaScript, C, Rust, who knows, maybe even dum-dum-dum. PHP. PHP, Golang, <laughs> Ruby. Why don't we just throw them all out there? Let's just just say all of it. I think PHP's come up on every episode this season. Yeah, so it, it's going to happen. That's fair. <laughs> so welcome, everybody. Camille and Scott. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, why don't we just get to know you both a little bit? Camille, why don't we start with you? Who are you in the space of engineering? And what do you do? And how do you fit into this community that we call Women Who Code? I'm a director of Women Who Code's DC chapter. I've been part of the org since late 2017, early 2018, and have been a director since mid-2020. And it's really a pleasure to be part of the ever-growing community of women in the DC area and to just help those careers along as we all progress in our various niches and industries. On the personal side, I'm an engineering manager focusing on Kubernetes. And so a lot of systems engineering on my side, dealing with a little bit of everything. All right on. And Scott, who are you? Where do you come from? What are you up to? Yeah. So I, I'm a developer out of Denver. I originally got my start working for many different agencies. So a longtime agency dev, but started doing YouTube in 2012, where I had my channel level up tutorials. I grew that channel quite a bit over the years and then met my co-host for Syntax in 2017, Wes Boss. Wes and I started the podcast and it became really popular right away. And then as recently as of 2023, we were acquired by Sentry, Level Up Tutorials, as well as Syntax. The Level Up Tutorials brand and everything is now being swallowed under the Syntax banner. And Syntax is really just a podcast teaching Full stack web development, HTML, CSS, JavaScript is really where we find most of our topics. But at the core of it, we're primarily JavaScript devs who do all the lovely JavaScript framework world and all that stuff. So fun, right? Framework hopping. That's so cool. You know, one thing that I feel like we could have done a little bit better this season, Owen, is a lot of our guests aren't from the Elixir community and maybe we don't tell them about what we're up to. So just for our audience and for both of you here, I'm an, also an engineering manager, Camille, in the Elixir space. And I also run the DC Elixir meetup. So that's a community I'm pretty involved in. But we also have a pretty fun community going on with this podcast as well. And if you want to talk about that. Right. So I forget what year you joined, I think back 2019, 2020. Don't give me a right? pop quiz on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life. So, you know, I joined Smart Logic 2021. It was just past two years, two year mark for me. And then I think January, February of the following year, weaseled my way in as co host of the podcast. So, 
So that's mm-hmm. that's how I got into the podcast. It's been great as a co-host, hearing feedback. Anytime we go to conferences, people come up to us and they're like, hey, uh, we really love the season. Or I don't think we've been peppered with like insults or criticisms. It's mostly like positive glowing reviews and stuff. But it's been really great talking to everyone that we can in the community, right? Yeah. One thing that we get told a lot that is very unique about the Elixir community is how welcoming and open we are, how engaged we are in giving people feedback when they're like, oh, I don't know how to do this thing. Can you teach me? Or does anyone know what I can do here? And sometimes the creators will jump in and and say, oh, you could try this thing or that thing. And so we did think it would be fun to, in a season where we branch out to other areas of engineering and such, we could talk about how other engineering communities operate and how you all function as, I mean, not organizations, it's a little kind of, well, I don't know, Camille, Women Who Code might be a little bit more organized and we can talk about that. But yeah, it's interesting. I think it might be good to describe when we say community, what comes to mind? Because I've got some ideas, some things, it's a little bit expansive. Camille, we'll start with you. When we say community, what comes to mind? To me, community is that bridge between friendship and functionality, right? The people you meet in the community aren't necessarily people you talk to on a daily basis. You might not even see them for a whole year, but there's those warm memories that come back. I think about as as we had a holiday party last week with another org, DC Women in Agile. And we had traditionally had that party together in 2018, 2019, and then, you know, pandemic. But it was really great to be able to bring both sides of the community back together and meet at a shared space. We met over, I'm sure you're familiar with the Excella space if you're in the DC area. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. This is where I gave my second ever talk. And those bonds deepen over the years. And so community is really about engaging and keeping that torch lit. The distance, even if you haven't seen someone recently, closes very quickly. And you can keep people in the loop around what is needed and what's happening. And that's something that we've been working on really hard on the last year as we've been rebuilding. My org, our chapter went through a lot of change. We previously had like nine directors and have geared down to a core three and then are trying to find volunteers and leads and train people. And it's interesting to be part of those challenges and the community, seeing all those wonderful faces and knowing people want to be a part of it makes it worth coming back to week after week. Yeah, that's really cool. And we're definitely going to dive into the differences between our our communities. But Scott, can you tell us uh, what community means to you and what um, the syntax community looks like on your end? Yeah. One thing that we've always tried to cultivate, especially with our podcast, is this feeling of we're just people hanging out talking about stuff we like. And if you like this stuff, you can hang out with us and talk about it too. And then in our community spaces like Discord or even comment sections or we have a, a small time Reddit or something like that in these types of community spaces, we're here to just chat about the stuff that we like. So, you know, that the comments are, are are more or less like means of uplifting. We're talking about like positivity. We're talking about real things, things that people hit in their life. And I think some community spaces can get wrong is that they can be really focused on the brand or the identity and all these things rather than being about like, hey, we're, we're people, we have multifacets, we can talk about dogs and cooking and, and code. We can talk about whatever. But, you know, just being able to hang out with people who are like-minded and who enjoy the same stuff that you do, it's, all, it's always, um, I don't know, 
cool experience. Now, in-person stuff is very different. For us, we're always showing up at conferences or we just did our first real, well, maybe it was our second meetup, but our first decently sized meetup in Toronto somewhat recently. And I got to say, there's really nothing quite like seeing 100 people in person is much better than seeing 1,000 people online in a digital space sometimes. So it's just being able to cultivate and grow those spaces as well has been huge for us. That really speaks to me, especially on the like, oh, we could talk about dogs or cooking because I feel like I'll enter an Elixir chat and we'll talk about cooking for 5,000 years or Women Who Code DC, my most active channel is the Plants channel. I know Camille's laughing right now because I never mm. shut up in that channel, but it's so useful because first of all, everyone kind of like, not that we all speak the same language, but we're all engineers or engineer adjacent. So we kind of have the same problem solving methodology when it comes to our plants. And then, of course, regionally, we're all kind of in the same zone. So when we're talking about, oh, did your kale grow this year? No, it was a bad year for kale. Those stupid lantern flies are coming in. And it's just really funny. So I appreciate that our communities are open to more than just tech subjects. It's fun. Don't forget Pokemon. Yeah, we're we're multifaceted people. I do not, in fact, talk about Pokemon with anyone other than you, Owen. Pokemon, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's an expert. Yes, I'm an expert at like making Sunday facepalm about Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon puns is my specialty. I'm glad we have room for Pokemon puns in our little tiny elixir wizards. <laughs> no, our quota is full. There's no more. No more room. <laughs> oh, wow. Yikes. Okay. All right, I got to... Develop some other humor then. So thinking about community, we've all been intertwined in some of these communities for a while now. If you can think back to the first community that made you feel welcomed or included, where you felt comfortable asking questions or saying hi, something that maybe brought you out of your shell a little bit, what comes to mind? What's the first community where you felt like you could actually jump in? Camille. Back in like 2017, I went to a DevOps Days conference when they were doing a one day in Baltimore. And it was eye-opening. If y'all have met Nathan Harvey, who's over at Google and was that chef at the time, he's a big advocate for this concept called open spaces, where the people who are at an event decide the topics for a good chunk of the day. And getting to be a part of those was really eye-opening and probably a really pivotal moment in my career, in my life, and just deciding I wanted to be more active in all these burgeoning tech communities going on in Baltimore and D.C., Right on. I know in the conferences, there's a thing of when there's a circle of people, this is something that naturally happens with us humans, apparently. Something you'll hear people say is anytime you see someone wandering outside their group, open up a space or just leave a space open so that people feel comfortable mm -hmm. coming in and that kind of thing. Because, you know, we all have different degrees of extroverted slash introvertedness. <laughs> I feel like I'm more extroverted at developer conferences than the most other places, but that's just me. <laughs> Scott, what's the first community that roped you in? Well, I, I want to just say really quick about your leaving a space open. I have a, a four-year-old daughter, and I've been going to a lot of birthday parties. And you'd be shocked at how many parents all know each other, and then they stand in a little circle, and they don't <laughs> leave a space open. I'm like, you got to leave a space open. I can't shove myself in here, and I'm just standing here awkwardly. So, yeah, hugely important. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going to go off the board here. And, you know, the first space that I felt really comfortable in, in just community in general, this is actually really wild. As a high schooler, I wanted to learn how to break dance, and this is not even programming related. I messaged a group at the University of Michigan, and they were just like, come on by. And 
I, I'm a high schooler. There are a bunch of college kids. I show up. They sneak me in because you have to have a college ID to get in the building. They sneak me in through the, the back door. And these guys who I didn't even know were willing to sneak me in to, to be a part of this little 10-person community. And they didn't know me at all. And it's always stuck out to me as being like, prop the door open for the next person that wants to come in. Because sure enough, by the time that I was like a junior, I, I became president of that club and really spent a lot of time there. And, and you know, all of my best college memories were from that being able to do that. But it only happened because somebody was willing to prop the door open for me and open the door in that way. So I think about that all the time. What are some ways that I'm not propping the door open or what can we do to bring other people in to community more just from that experience? You know, Scott, the wildest thing about that, because I've been thinking about this too, since Owen asked it, trying to think coding community or not, what was the most open first community I ever kind of encountered? I think it was also breakdancing. I'm pretty sure it was because I can't. No way. <laughs> they what? really just want everybody to join <laughs> in. They're very open. They're very open, folks. I went to my friend's breakdancing competition and it was like a whole thing. It was like 20, 40 people and they were all getting ready beforehand. It was almost like a mm -hmm. homecoming event. And I just showed up and I was like, I, I'm not going to know anyone, but I did say I would come support my friend. And then they were just like, oh, what's your name? Come in. Come here. Oh, did you need, do you need this? Oh, you should sit with us. And I was just like, whoa. It was overwhelming, the amount of friendliness. They're just so nice. Yes. The core tenets of that community are about bringing people in. And it doesn't matter your skill or where you're from or whatever. It's just about the music and hanging out and having fun. So, yeah, that tracks. I didn't dance. Oh, <laughs> making faces. Uh, no, I'm like, if I don't, if we go to the next Elixir Conf and there's not like a breakdance pad from like cars.com or Sunday oh, yeah. or something, Absolutely you know, Absolutely not. I went to support someone else <laughs> who knew how to dance. I got to see these Sunday moves. <laughs> yeah. I, I just uh, replicate the rabbit emojis, you know, the flying ones, the stars one, the crazy happy <laughs> dance one, that yeah. little dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing yeah. all the dances right now for everyone who can't see me, which is everyone else. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So it's it's interesting how this incorporates to our lives, because Scott, as you're saying, you now think about leaving a space open. And that's something I think about at Elixir conferences. For those who've seen me at Elixir conference and felt comfortable enough to come up to me who they've never talked to me before. And they said, I love your podcast. I really liked your talk. Or I saw there was an opening at your company. Could we talk about it? And they felt fine going up to a stranger and doing that. I really appreciate that. I'm glad that we have on this podcast fostered the environment and the openness and for people to feel comfortable to come up to us and chat. And I think that's really cool because nowadays we make all of our best friends online, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's really fun. I guess moving into how this openness can foster learning and development for new programmers. Scott, as somebody who is working on d development courses and such, how does that play in? How is that a factor? Yeah, I think that the number one thing is that, you know, everybody comes to any different tutorial or any different learning space with a completely different level set, no matter what. I mean, we all have, especially in this web tech world, right? There's so many different specialties and so many of them are related and so many of them have different odd concerns or different focuses. So I think there's this intention of always really supporting that beginner space of knowing that using jargon when it's unnecessary isn't doing anything for the person watching, other than potentially making them feel alienated or stressed out or 
maybe lost about what you're talking about. Finding the ways to be able to bridge that gap between only teaching beginner skills, but still having a beginner way of explaining things is a tough problem, but something that I think pays off really well to be able to explain things in their most simple terms, while at the same time still explaining them deeply in a way that gives people full strength and, and understanding. For sure. That's a, it's a skill and it's a hard skill. The people that I see struggle with it the most are... I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but I think the academics, it's like people who mm-hmm. like really spend hours and hours and hours going all the way deep into the weeds and mastering everything, explaining those concepts to people who are not entrenched is a hard thing to do. On this note, on the same kind of theme, I'm wondering with women who code, is this a community that's open to women who want to code, women who have code, heck coded, women who know the secret code? What's the target audience for women who code? Yeah, I I would say the target audience, the core audience, is women who've been in tech and tech-adjacent industries for two-plus years and are either looking to learn new skills or improve existing skills as well as just have room and space to have a little room to let their hair down. We do a fair amount of intro sessions, but we've been trying to figure out what that balance is because what Scott was talking about, you can get a little bit in a, a rut or a loop where you're always doing intro sessions, but trying to figure out how to make that content accessible for the long term is something we're looking to touch on in 2024. I feel like I could do an intro to DevOps every week for the rest of forever. <laughs> I feel like Camille just described my hell loop. I'm pretty sure that's what it looks like for me. Mm. Oh my gosh. Camille, not that this is like a a brainstorming session or anything, but one thing that I let go a little bit that I'd love to bring back is the success channel. We used to do success Fridays, and I thought that was such a Mm -hmm. cool way in any community, really, but especially women who code, just a quieter, smaller space just to very candidly express something we were really proud of that we might be embarrassed to talk about other places for no reason other than just social constructs. I don't know. Something as small as my PR actually didn't fail CI today or something. I don't know. We used to do that more regularly during the pandemic. It was very, very active, very important to us. And I think we've just gotten a little bit away from it. And I felt awkward posting it in every Friday by myself. Maybe we can bring that back. Yes, we should. We should bring it back. One thing that's been a little bit of a personal struggle. I'm on the East Coast, but I've been working West Coast hours. And so I'll remember something like that, and it's almost 8 p.m. And I'm like, I think Success Friday may have passed me by. I sort of think maybe like Win Wednesday would be easier because it's in the middle of the week. Yeah, fair. I've been thinking about this exact same topic. You got to schedule those selects, you know, like say, post this on Monday, right? (laughs) When everyone's awake again. Small wins can be pretty important for new developers as well. Scott, do you do anything like that in, in your various forums and such? highlighting small wins on any regard is something that we try to do. Whether it is something that I'm doing day to day, for instance, the the syntax website, syntax.fm is something that like I code on all day, every day. I use it as a playground to learn things with. And when things are are going right or wrong, it doesn't matter. There's still an opportunity to, to share and put that out there, especially most recently we used some tools to improve loading time because we had a blocking script on our page. And instead of trying to act too cool about that blocking script, right, we're supposed to be experts here. We took it as an opportunity to say, 
hey, we had a blocking script on our page. Here's how we solved it. Here's a quick win. We did this really fast, and you can use the same technique to replicate this type of thing on your end too. So I think just highlighting those types of things, like even as professionals here, we make mistakes, we have bugs, we have problems, we fix them, we work on them. How do we make it feel like, hey, everybody's got this stuff, and if you hit this stuff, you are part of this community too by doing the same things we're all doing. So we have conferences, we have our forums, we have our discords. We kind of still have Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> see what what happens next year. Let's see what else. Meetups. So I know Sunday, I don't know you don't you don't like to necessarily toot your own horn, but you're organizer of the DC Elixir meetup. We've got a holiday party. Which will have already happened. So come to 2024 holiday party virtual listener. Um, no, <laughs> right. yeah, we've been doing that every year for this is the third year straight. And it's almost always a last minute endeavor. Not quite as last minute as the first year. The first year was like a weekend where people like the last weekend people were working and somebody was like, oh, it'd be cool to hang out or holiday party. And I was like, we could do that. We could do that. And then I like I sent out a poll and got it <laughs> together. But it like two days later with sponsors and everything. And I think the last minute nature of that kind of made that I love surprising people with things they are not expecting. We still have sponsors. We have the most sponsors ever for this particular one, Raffling Books. Virtual books are great prizes because we like to include everyone from across the globe. So it's really hard to say, oh, we're going to send you a, a mug or swag when it's going off to Japan or, or, you know, the other side of the planet for most folks. So Virtual books are pretty good. We're going to send yeah. you a PDF. New PDF. <laughs> or an ebook. Yeah. Yeah. One <laughs> really easy meetup idea that kind of took place recently in DC Elixir that I think, Scott, you might be interested in for new developers as well is just like a pair programming night. We did that recently. And I was just like, mm. bring some code that you're allowed to show and let's kind of walk through it. And the last one, Yordis, who was on this season previously, came and really just took it and started highlighting on people's screens and suggesting really cool ways of refactoring code. If you were interested in doing a particular thing, think about it at a higher level. I was just like, wow, this is really inspiring to see. So shout out Yordas. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But also there were some newcomers. One person had only been programming in Elixir for about a month and he was really interested in, in learning. And he felt, you know, again, comfortable to come and show his code and not get it torn apart, but, you know, get suggestions. And that was just very fun and a very easy meetup idea when literally no one no one comes forth with a talk. <laughs> yeah. We did something that we were calling syntax highlight. And that was like a, a series that we would do where people would show up and submit their website. And this is all on podcast. So it's a little bit harder to do, but we discuss what's working or not working about their website as a means of trying to highlight community members to say, all right, we're going to give you time to share your work, but we're also going to make it productive. We're going to take it apart and say, all right, let's take a look at your HTML structure. Are we missing any accessibility things? What could be tuned up about the design? So it was like almost like office hours to help build up people's portfolios or even online presences and stuff like that. I'm kind of curious. We're a programming podcast. We like to keep things positive and light. I'm curious if let's say we've got a PR opened for community interactions and we see some things we want to constructively criticize or like tweak them out of our, mm -hmm. our the things we see in our communities. What are some things you've seen that you would like to either encourage or discourage 
in communities, either online or in person or otherwise? Camille? That's really hard to say. For the women who code DC, there hasn't been any consistent negative patterns. It's more about trying to get people to be more engaged. Contextually, out of now over 200 chapters, we're the third largest and consistently in the top most active one. But, and Cindy, I'm sure you can talk about that. It used to be so much more active. And trying to figure out where that spark is, again, has been that challenge. We've gotten some new, more junior directors in, so I'm hoping to work with them and leverage that energy. But we haven't, thankfully, had really any major discipline or personality clashes in recent tenure. I'm not saying there hasn't ever been, uh, more just not post-pandemic. Oh, everyone chilled out. So <laughs> the civilization got more civilized. That's a surprise. Great to hear. Mm. <laughs> happy hours? Uh. <laughs> Less happy hours. Okay, gotcha. Scott, what about you? Have you seen either some great interactions you'd like to see more of or some things maybe that... I think what happens sometimes are people are not always aware of how they're affecting other people and how their behaviors are not necessarily constructive to community, but... I guess the overall topic here is keeping our communities healthy, right? Making them so that we all want to mm -hmm. keep staying engaged or increasing engagement to Camille's point. Well, you know, I think it all starts off having something objective that you can point at, like a sign to point at, right? Like code of conduct for a community is pretty important because then you can say, hey, you're not just doing something that makes me feel uncomfortable. You're doing something that violates these terms. It becomes less emotional and more like factual. Hey, you, you're having these issues these ways. We have had situations where there was community members and like a discord being just maybe rude or saying inappropriate things. Nothing to the point where it would be like an immediate, you got to get out of here, but more like, hey, just so you know, you know, we had some people letting us know that what you said made them uncomfortable in this way. And people adjusted. I think a little bit is like knowing who your community is. And this was a person who was very active in our community and they weren't, you could tell their intentions were fine, but just that the way they were expressing themselves wasn't fine. It's easier when you have a small enough community that you can get to know everybody where you can understand intentions a little bit more. But in, in the same regard, yeah, having that code of conduct is really important for any growing community or, or just, you know, ha having clearly defined internal rules about what works and what doesn't, what people are okay with and what they're not okay with. You know, I've always been of the mind of, especially, you know, being on YouTube for 12 years now or so, you get a lot of ridiculous comments on YouTube that are not there for anything. They're not there for anything other than somebody venting or just intentionally being rude. And like, I've, I've no, no hesitation to delete any of that stuff. If it's not helpful for the community, all it's going to be doing is alienating people. Get it out of here. Right on. Yeah, I think, yeah, on the tough side, yeah, I think some of the things I've seen IRL, so like in real life situations are people who are extremely passionate about maybe an opinion, let's say, about how things are structured or whatever it might be, programming stuff. And they get into a conversation and they ask questions and they just won't let the conversation move on past, you know, it's kind of end point. So I think that happens sometimes, but these things are typically resolved diplomatically. I haven't seen any 
like knock down drag outs or anything crazy that happened, you know? It, it definitely happens in like smaller meetups. It hasn't happened to me in a while, but I mean, opening up to pair programming night, I was a little bit worried too about, okay, I don't know who's coming with what code. I don't know if they're trying to solve a 30-year-old bug or their little pet project bug, right? So you really have to mm. be open and dynamic. And so one thing I was thinking about was like, okay, how do I not control the situation, but make it so that I don't feel like I'm cutting anyone off. I'm giving everyone an equal chance to kind of speak up and, and chat. So I just, at the beginning, was like, who is here with some code for us to look at? Then I took the number of people who said that they had, you know, something to look at, divided our, our time by four, and then kept us to an agenda. And if there's literally only one skill set I have, it's keeping people to an agenda. That's it. Or one that I had to pick mm-hmm. is like my number one. So um, I did feel good about that. But I think, you know, for folks who are trying to do things that maybe they're more uncomfortable with or like they're not as good at, maybe having a co-organizer of any of any sort to help bounce off of, oh, hey, didn't you have that idea or, or something like, you know, like just tag somebody in to give you a sounding board and a little bit of a helping hand can always be helpful in any in any community situation, whether it's hosting a meetup or hosting a conference, emceeing, I emceed ElixirConf two years ago and having a co-MC, not that I was worried mm-hmm. about anything, but when the main keynote of the day couldn't function because Chris McCord couldn't get into his laptop and we had 30 minutes of dad jokes. Amos, shout out Amos, couldn't have done it without you, man. <laughs> oh, the epic a dad joke. Debacle of 2022. How do I describe that? Debacle. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yep. It never happened again. Right. So I think another aspect of community is, and something I maybe we don't always think of as part of the community, but open source, right? Like we're, we're all building, if we're writing code, we're, you know, I don't know what the percentage would be a lot. We're writing a lot of code on top of other people's code. And we've got a community, of course, through GitHub, we've got open source repos. We can just look at the source code, you know, go into issues and PRs and discussions. We've also got JavaScript, Elixir, Java packages, PHP packages, uh, packages of all kinds, dependencies. That's been a kind of interesting thing. As I've listened to podcasts and maintainers of these packages, you know, I think at different times people will struggle mentally with just the kind of the bandwidth required to maintain these things. And I think especially once they're extremely popular and all the demands that people make on those maintainers. I don't think this is an Elixir problem or a JavaScript problem. This is just like a human problem, right? And what's the secret sauce for maintainers that do this long term? I think for me, a system being that one of the keys to success, we talk to a lot of major project maintainers on syntax. And the ones who have it figured out, the ones with minimal issues and closed pull requests, they all have really good systems. All issues must have a reproduction. Does not have a reproduction, it's getting closed, you know? Or if, I mean, if it's an appropriate solution there to have a reproduction. Those people who have it figured out and spend the time in the infrastructure there, make sure that the tests are passing and your continuous integration set up and stuff. I think those are the people that have it the smoothest. Now, I, I'm starting to get into this a little bit more. I've always done open source work myself. I, I commit a lot to the Svelte community in terms of community packages. But now the Syntax site is something that we right now have four open pull requests, three of which are from community members who have just decided they wanted something changed on the website, so they're going to make a pull request. And that's something that we like to enable for our community because 
helps them feel connected, but also gives them a chance to work on a bigger project like this or, or again, make an act change in something that they use. So for us, I'm now in this role where I'm having to do a lot more of these open source PR reviews and, and things like that. And it's hard not to want to just merge everybody's work because they spent time on it. I'm a sensitive person in that regard. So like somebody did some work, I'm going to be like, oh, I feel like your work should be on the website, even if it maybe shouldn't. So I, I think it's all about having that system ahead of time. That way, again, it's all systematized and you're not having to think too much about the actual process. I guess in a similar vein, Camille, when there's some improvement, like you're talking about raising new junior directors and such, what kind of mentorship and professional develop can you actually do to help raise someone up in a community like Women Who Code? Mentorship is a pretty broad and complex topic. In my experience, having both had mentors and, and mentees at the stage of my career, you really have to both find ways to make it not repeatable, but consistent. It doesn't mean you have to talk to each other and see each other every day, but figuring out a routine that works for you and the mentee or mentor is really crucial to making that successful relationship. My favorite sort of mentor, there was a while where I was reporting directly to essentially my skip and we would just go every other week for a walk and just walk the neighborhood and talk about work and not work. Finding ways that you both mutually bond over stuff is key to making that relationship last in the long term. Like I'm still friends with that that person, even though we both have moved to different companies over the years. Specifically in the context of Women Who Code, I had a mentor who was a director and she really pushed me. Like the first job at my second Women Who Code event was like, hey, we just need somebody to open the door and if anybody needs to like you know, they had a locked bathroom, help out. Would you be able to do that? And that whole thing has just bloomed over the years because mentorship is really a long game. Both sides of the relationship have to be invested in not necessarily key goals, but trying to make sure that progress is happening. If you get to a level where you're working with a mentor and you're not progressing, you probably need to find a new person. And that's really key to growth. And it's not always a bad thing either. It's just the nature of life. I think one of the hardest things about mentorship in a, a community environment instead of a work one, like we're both engineering managers day to day, but we both you know help and run communities. Delegation is something that we talk about a lot in management classes and training courses and how to level up as a manager, make sure you delegate this and, and that. And we just, all of it goes out the window when you're planning a meetup or a conference or a weekly Wednesday wins thing. You don't have to do it, but it's your idea. And as a volunteer, you feel like you need to do it. You don't want to just put that on someone else. But when you're raising up new folks into leadership or you just need to make it actually work, sometimes it's better to bring other folks in. And that's a more healthy way to foster good relationships and also bring in new folks and just see a little bit of consistency. So if anyone's having a little bit of trouble being consistent with some of that stuff, just delegation is, is a nice tool for that. We just need that reminder sometimes. Definitely. I'm curious about, there's like a, a changing kind of, I don't know, something in the water about is diversity and inclusion really important and valuable? I'm starting to see people asking that question, and I 
I see the value of of having more voices in a community. I'm curious if we have thoughts about what do we get when we bring more people into a community who otherwise would maybe be excluded or wouldn't have their voice represented. Camille, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, it's the key focus from women who coded before a local chapter in global. I guess I look at it through the lens of, and I could, I could have the statistic wrong, but recalling about after two years in tech, women have gotten STEM degrees. About 30% of them will leave within those first two years. And then like in the lens of like 10 years, about 60% of them will leave STEM roles. And so a lot of what we want to do is to foster that community so people feel there's something to work towards in tech and see those other wins and successes. So even if their day-to-day right then isn't going great or isn't progressing, that there can be a brighter future in the long run. Because a lot of a lot of it is not just getting hired. Like I see a lot of content on the internet is around how to get your first job. But it's it's really hard to get your third job. It's really hard to get your fourth job. And I know I've deeply benefited from the network at Women Who Code and DevOps DC, keeping me involved and keeping me included and in the loop and knowledgeable about different avenues I wouldn't have found on my own. Like my four-year detour into government contracting. Mm-hmm. Or your detour. <laughs> when you look at it through that lens of like trying to provide a, not a platform, but like a base, like a home base for people to congregate, to communicate, to be invested in. It's really important as that base grows to be diverse and to make sure you continue to leave that space open so that people feel invited to join in. And that's how you have a healthy community. Right on. And Scott, are there like, are there efforts or it's a, it's a hard problem to solve, right? You're trying to bring people in who may have been rejected before and you have to rebuild trust sometimes after trust has been evaporated or destroyed in some ways. So how do we do this? How do we fix it? Scott, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a responsibility on the parts of people who have voices to lift up other voices. That's something that I think we, we certainly try to do is to get more voices, more diversity in voices, more diversity in experiences around. It, it's not about lifting up one person. It's about having the the bigger voice be there so that people do feel like this is a place for people like me no matter what you're doing. We're all here to learn the code at the end of the day, but if the only people who are getting that opportunity to have that voice are people that are of a a certain type, then that excludes a lot of people. So I I think it's a matter of the people who, who do have that platform. It's their responsibility to put other people on their platform to make sure everybody feels like they're included. Yeah, what's really nice about the virtual kind of setup for meetups especially is we originally, you know, when we met up in person, had mostly DC folks, a lot of government contractors who had fallen by the wayside. No, I'm kidding. They were happy with their jobs, but they often couldn't do Elixir in their day-to-day. And what we see more now in the virtual space is folks from the literal other side of the planet. Almost every single one of my meetups has somebody who's in a totally different time zone. It's 8 a.m. their time. They really wanted to hear the talk or they wanted to pair program or what have you. And I always appreciate that. I never know who I'm going to expect from 
which time zone, which country. And it's really cool because you hear things about Elixir communities in China, or you hear things about the Elixir community in Kenya. And there are different challenges that they face, different employment things, different, I mean, not often tech things, but sometimes, you know, you never know what comes up. And I really do appreciate that. And I'm exposed to that because of Elixir DC or DC Elixir. I feel kind of funny, maybe not changing the name of it, but I feel like the roots of it is is kind of helpful. But it is a very interesting time now that we're like focused on virtual. But then Camille, at first, when I saw that holiday party, I was like, oh, it's a virtual. Wait, the Excel space? The Excel space? I remember that space. That's a real space. That's a physical <laughs> space, not in the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. We're we're in an interesting hybrid time. Yeah, I think remote meetups are great for this. We now I can I can go to a meetup. We can have a call. We can have guests on who are halfway across the globe. We couldn't like afford to fly guests to Baltimore or Dallas or whatever to be on the podcast. So yeah, that's that's really helped us a lot with improving diversity just on this particular podcast. Mm-hmm. We've had phenomenal guests from all over the world on this podcast. This season, some of my favorite conversations have happened after we stopped recording, whenever the guests start peppering each other with questions. So I'm going to ask you now, Camille, mm-hmm. Scott, do you have questions for each other about your communities? Your community feels like, because it is DC-based, correct? Yeah. So that it's a big difference to have it be a more localized community. Do you, are there any challenges that you specifically notice around having it be a, a localized community? Yeah, DC is the number one in the nation for continuing to engage in remote work. A lot of places that used to sponsor events, sponsor and host events, just aren't there anymore. They've gone 100% remote, given up their office space. My division in my company has gone 100% remote. A lot of places that used to be hubs of like, like we used to have a really devoted Python track and a really devoted, was it the Java track or was it the data science track? And both of them had a set space where they were there every, uh, every week, like Tuesdays and Thursdays, like clockwork. And both those buildings are just gone. And so that's just been the, the reality we're trying to figure out sort of long-term sponsorship from places that might not be able to host or might not be a fit. So with like, you know, Quark contributions at the beginning of the year is where 501c3. So it's, it's really, at least that part, it's relatively easy to take donations, but it's something I don't personally have experience with. And a lot of that knowledge base of directors who knew how to work those angles, knew who to talk to, aren't there. And so it's all about rebuilding that community Rolodex. I'm fascinated with like, how you have kept a podcast community going and a a non-linear learning community going for like four plus years. Yeah. I think the the big thing for me that's always been the most important is consistency. At the start, it was every Monday or every Wednesday an episode would release. And then once we had a little bit more juice, we would do Monday and Wednesdays. Now it's Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But even when I was doing my YouTube channel, it was the consistency was the most important thing. We're People know what to expect, when to expect it, and you know how much to expect. The Monday episode's 30 minutes long. They know they're getting a 30-minute episode on Monday, and it's been that way for many years now. And, and I think just that general consistency is like the single best thing you can do 
to foster any sort of regular attendance on anything, whether that's a video or even like meetups. You know, the, the, the meetups I attended the most were the ones I could consistently plop into my schedule and always know they're going to be at a specific time on a specific date. So I think that's a, an important thing that a lot of people miss out or they'll do it for a little bit and maybe they'll do 10 videos in one week and then no videos in another week or whatever. But people want to see that you're there. They want to see that you're doing stuff and being a part of that community. Another thing is I've always made it a point to be myself and be there in terms of community spaces. So the Discord, I'm in the Discord 24-7 chatting with people, and it's probably to my detriment to do that, but it's a net positive for the community, right? And likewise, if somebody wants to tweet at us about something or message us on even TikTok or Instagram, we're responding, I'm responding, I'm, I'm doing my very best to, you know, make people feel connected to us. As somebody who doesn't consistently remember to post meetup things until the virtual holiday party appears, I feel seen, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> I've got another pair programming night I want to get on the calendar for January, and I think I might just slot that into every month where we don't have a speaker, which I think is fine. That That's at least something consistent. So thank you for that one, Scott. We could probably talk about suggestions, tips, tricks, the secrets of the trade all day long, but I appreciate this conversation so much. We're just about at time, so I'd love to open it up to see if you have any final plugs or ask for the audience, social media, side projects, how to get involved or how people can support you in your various efforts. Camille, why don't we start with you? Awesome. For anything Women Who Code DC, if you're interested, we have Twitter and we also have a GitHub. That's just going to be the full name on both of those. The global org is womenwhocode.com, and they've been making a really big push to make content consistently available. So there's content in probably like 30 languages now. And so it's really interesting. It's their YouTube has grown. Also run a podcast, which I've, I've had the, the ability to be on before. The one side project I have right now is remoteworkcalc.com. I haven't touched in a while, but if you want to quickly figure out how much money you've saved by not commuting twice a day, every day. It's uh, fascinating, and you'll sort of want to pull your hair out. Nice. I will plug the Syntax podcast. We have three weekly episodes where we talk all things web development, mostly JavaScript focused. So if you're JavaScript curious here, yeah, check us out. We, we'll, we get into beginner topics as well as kind of what's happening in the the industry at a whole and, and anybody who's followed JavaScript news knows there's a new framework every other week. So we talk about all that stuff and what you need to know. So syntax.fm uh, is the website or just syntax in any podcast player. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us. Sunday, I think it's time for us to Psyduck out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Did it. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us and we'll be back next week for more Jigglypuff puns. Pokemon. What is it? <laughs> Words, Owen. Words. I blew my own mind. Pokemon. Pokemon jokes, yes. We'll be back next week with more Pokemon jokes. See y'all later. <laughs> Elixir Wizards is a production of SmartLogic. You can find us online at smartlogic.io, and we're at SmartLogic on Twitter. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This episode was produced and edited by Paloma Pachenik for SmartLogic. We'll see you next week for more as we branch out from Elixir.
Hey, this is your ear flicker, president of SmartLogic, the company that brings you this podcast. SmartLogic is a consulting company that helps our clients accelerate the pace of their product development. We build custom software applications for our clients, typically using Phoenix and Elixir, Rails, React, and Flutter for mobile app development. We're always happy to get acquainted, even if there isn't an immediate need or opportunity. And of course, referrals are always greatly appreciated. Please email contact at smartlogic.io to chat. Thanks and have a great day.